Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. This is the place to be if you're ready for the best podcasts of the paranormal. Curious and sometimes unexplained. Now listen to this. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Joshua P. Warren, and each week on this show, I'll be bringing you brand new, mind-blowing content, news, exercises, and weird experiments you can do at home, and a lot more. On this particular edition of the show, the evil eye, hex protection, and chaos magic. (laughs) This is going to be one of those shows where I may seem like I'm rambling a little bit, but um, it's all connected. It's all part of the same big ball game. I got an email recently from a man. I will not use his name. And he said to me, would you have a talisman or something for protection from the evil eye? And before I tell you how I responded to that, I thought it was 
quite interesting that he emailed me with this question because not too long ago, my wife, Lauren, and I, where we were just out sort of running errands here in Las Vegas, and we noticed one of these shops that you occasionally find around here that's kind of like an international goods store. And uh, you go in and they have sometimes you know, like candies and foods, um, knickknacks, art, and usually it's kind of um, Europe-centric or Asia-centric but it's fun to go into those places because it's like a big mystery grab bag and you don't know what you're going to find. And this place had some particularly interesting pieces of art. And at one point, uh, she and I were walking toward the back of this shop and we looked over and said, what the heck is that? And we found this item, which I have sitting right now in my studio. I'm looking at it. It's about I don't know, a, a foot away from me that I can only describe to you as, well, I guess it's actually called an evil eye tree. So this is a sculpture and I, it looks like something from another planet. Try to imagine this if you've never seen such a thing. So this is about, I have a ruler here. It's about, okay, it looks like a tree with branches all over it and it's silver. It's about 10 inches tall and about eight inches wide. And even though it's silver, each branch has this kind of flexible tip that terminates with uh, blue petals. And each blue petal has an evil eye right in the middle of it. And of course, an evil eye is just, um, it's an object that looks like an eyeball and it's it's a big open eye usually they are blue not always um but you know it's it's like a a black pupil with a blue iris and so there are 12 of these eyes all over this tree looking out uh in different places and it just looks so bizarre and freaky there's also one big huge uh eyeball at the base of it that as soon as we saw it we were like well we've got to have that uh in <laughs> in our collection of bizarro things and and by the way at some point i plan to um go around my house and uh just shoot a video of some of the weird things that i own kind of like stuff from my collection and just put it on YouTube. And if you would like to therefore know when that is going to be posted, you just have to go and subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's not monetized, so there shouldn't be any commercials on it. Uh, just go to YouTube and do a search for Joshua P. Warren and you'll find my channel. So anyway, uh, I like this because, you know, the evil eye is uh, this thing that it's a concept that is supposed to curse you. And yet, if you have these objects that have an evil, uh, well, have an eyeball on them, they're supposed to protect you from the evil eye. It's like they're projecting it back. And, and if, if this is all brand new to you, um, and, and also, just so you know, as I'm sitting here right now, I'm wearing my purple plate pendant. I've got my Electrum ring on. I have a gargoyle that looking over top of me. I do everything I can to protect myself because I am sitting here talking to people all over the world about some spooky things. And so, you know, I don't want to attract those things into my life. I have to have a protected space. 
But if you go and you actually look back at the history of the evil eye, it is it is a supernatural belief in some kind of a curse, which is brought on by a malevolent glare, usually given to a person when that person is unaware. And the evil eye dates back to, they say, at least 5,000 years ago. That in the 6th century BC, it appeared on Greek drinking vessels. They were called eye cups as a type of protective magic. It's found in many cultures in the Mediterranean, as well as parts of Western Asia, Central Asia, with these cultures believing that receiving the evil eye will cause misfortune or injury, while others believe it to be a kind of supernatural force that sort of casts or reflects a malevolent gaze back upon those who wish to harm uh, others. So, so that's why it can seem a little bit confusing because the evil eye, that phrase means two things. For one thing, it means uh, the act of being able to project this sort of curse through your eyes onto somebody. And then it also means these talismans that have an eyeball that are supposed to deflect that sort of thing back onto the person. And I mean, supposedly around 40% of the world's population believe in the evil eye and all kinds of cultures. Uh, you should really look into this. Now, where does this come from? You know, what's the, the, the real stem of this? Well, nobody knows for sure. Apparently, um, you know, you're, we have these, uh, Classical authors that talked about it, uh, the Greek philosopher Plutarch, he said that in his scientific explanation that the eyes were the chief part, if not the sole source of deadly rays that can be projected from a person just like poison darts. And he said the phenomenon of the evil eye is something inexplicable. It's a source of wonder. Uh, Pliny the Elder, he described the ability of certain people to have this enchantment and to even kill those upon whom they fix their gaze. Um, I mean, there are stories in the Christian gospel uh, warning against the evil eye. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. And so this belief which arose in antiquity, which we don't 100% fully understand. It, to me, it just seems like, well, if we hear the eyes or the windows to the soul, obviously that means that things are coming in and going out, and some people are able to simply perfect what they project from their eyes. And if they project something that is focused and bad, well, it's almost like uh, instantaneous magic. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've talked before on this podcast about psychotronic warfare, and that was one of the things that supposedly applies to psychotronics, that you 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 shoot psychic energy out of your eyes. So there are all these different things that have been produced over the years, uh, charms and things that are, are protective items that you're supposed to be able to wear to deflect this. And before I tell you um, my, what my response was to this man, who contacted me. I'll tell you something else about uh, the evil eye that I find absolutely intriguing. 
you know, animals tend to respond to this phenomenon. Uh, this is called the eye spot phenomenon. Uh, for example, they say, uh, tigers have these eye-like markings on their ears. And while that's most often observed on butterflies, it's exhibited by a variety of animals, including reptiles, fish, birds. Think of peacocks. These eye-like markings often work as a defense mechanism where, where, where a prey animal mimics the eyes of a larger predator. However, it, it's not always just a prey animal. Even the tigers are so responsive to this that a lot of people in India wear tiger eyes on the back of their hat. Uh, this has actually been tested. Eye spots have been painted on the rumps of cows in Africa and have been scientifically shown to reduce cattle deaths. Um, there's a whole study here I'm looking at. Cameron Radford and uh, some colleagues said that Forest users wear face masks with eye markings on the back of their heads to reduce tiger attacks. And they've gone out and they've done this. They put these eyeballs on all these cattle. And there's a significant portion of them that do not get attacked because they have these eyeballs. Okay, it's time for a break. When we come back, I'm going to tell you what I said to this man who emailed me. And then we're going to get more into this idea of like, well, what what does this mean to be cursed? And there are some very basic tips that you can keep in mind to try to uh, resist the evil eye if you think it may be upon you. I want to let you know that, of course, uh, my website is joshuapwarren.com. There is no period after the P. If you go there, please go to the homepage. Sign up for my free e-newsletter right there. It takes you two seconds. You put in your email address, hit the submit button. And when you do that, you will receive some free instant gifts from me, like some online digital stuff that you can start using to make your life more magical. And also, while you are there, please visit my curiosity shop. A lot of stuff is selling out. Some of it is not going to be reproduced because I'm moving on to other things. Um, But if you go to the curiosity shop, find something cool that connects with you or you think would connect with a loved one. When you buy something there, it supports the show and keeps me doing it. I am Joshua P. Warren, and you are listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back. Hang in there. Josh is coming right back on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings that frustrating thing your mom does, or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. 
And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash strange things today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash strange things. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. Please make sure and check out my show, Shades of the Afterlife, heard right here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now more Joshua P. Warren on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren, beaming into your wormhole brain from my studio in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada, where every day is golden and every night is silver. Ajitato Zume. And I'll tell you something that's kind of weird. I doubt you can hear this. Here in my studio, I've got foam everywhere, and it's a pretty soundproof environment. But um, over the last, I don't know, like 15 minutes, it sounds like there's some major like military aircraft activity or something like that going going on. And I don't think it's making it into the show, but um, it's kind of unsettling when you hear that going on and on forever. Uh, and so <laughs> I'm glad I have my... My protective things around me. Um, but that's, you know, Las Vegas, it's a very dynamic place. We've got Area 51 down the road. We got Nellis Air Force Base here. There's a lot happening. And, uh, indeed, I have my, not only my evil eye tree next to me, but also I have an evil eye talisman that was brought back to me from my good buddy, Mr. Forrest Connor. We even talked about it when I recently interviewed him. He's a world traveler, and he he brought me some evil eye stuff. I've had my friend Patricia, Patricia DeMint, bring me some evil eye stuff over the years. Uh, 
So when you get into the reality of all this, we know that it has an impact on animals. Maybe it has an impact on well, the the spiritual world, I just want to tell you this because I think this is amazing. Getting back to this experiment that was done trying to protect cattle, um, it says here that there were 2,061 cattle in 14 herds over four years that were given these kinds of markings of the cattle that had eyeballs painting on painted on them and we're talking about usually on their on their backside none of them were attacked um but of the ones who were uh unmarked 15 were killed one by a leopard the rest by lions and they also did some experiments where instead of just putting eyeballs or just leaving them unmarked they would just put x's in place of the eyeballs and some of those were killed as well uh but what they found was that you know there was a statistic uh statistically significant protection barrier there and that um it all has to do apparently with you know these these lions or tigers or leopards or whoever were running around there uh thinking that these eyeballs were a deterrent of some kind pretty amazing really so mindful of that kind of thing when this gentleman emailed me and said would you have a talisman or something for protection from the evil eye i guess that the most simple answer i could have given would be to say well that is possibly the most common talisman you could you can have all throughout human history if you want protection from the evil eye you go out and you get one of these big eyeballs and wear it around your neck or put it on your wall or in your car. I mean, that would be the traditional thing to say. But, you know, sometimes I prefer to give people advice that's, you know, maybe not as common. So I wrote him back and I said, well, there is a free sigil for psychic self-defense on this page. And I sent him to the sigillab.com. And if you go to the sigillab.com, yes, that's where you can, um, occasionally when we are accepting, um, orders, you can get a custom sigil made, but there's a lot of free stuff that's linked up. And, uh, there is a, uh, a parasymatics sigil page there at the bottom. It says for more info on parasymatics sigils, click here and you click that and, uh, it just has a whole bunch of different free sigils and one of them is for uh well neutralizing the paranormal and the other is for psychic self-defense and so i said go there and get that sigil and it works like all sigils you just you save it you download it or whatever and you just look at it as often as possible and uh he said and this should defend me and i said that is the intention that's correct that's why these things were made so that was my advice to him. But I also would like to point out that, you know, I have talked in general about this idea of people having something like a curse or a hex and in some cases projected around their entire lives. If you think you are cursed, uh, you need to go back and listen to episode 81 of this show. It's called If You Are Cursed and also uh, episode 11 of this podcast is about how to 
create or prevent paranormal activity. All this stuff could be of interest to you if you think that maybe you're getting wrapped up in some kind of negative targeting. But um, there are supposedly some basic tips. I, these I don't know how, how superstitious you would call these. Basic tips that you can do if you think somebody might be projecting something like the evil eye on you. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But first, let's go back and just refresh ourselves on what we're talking about when we dig into this whole idea of a curse. A curse is any expressed wish that some form of misfortune will befall or attach itself to 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 people or places or objects and and let me pause here to say if you think that curses sound like a bunch of hogwash well do you believe in blessings because if you believe in a blessing then you have to believe in a curse i think because these are just opposite sides of the same coil coin if if a, if a blessing is projecting goodness on you maybe through the form of prayer or whatever well uh, a curse is the same thing except it's opposite so a curse may refer to this kind of a wish made by uh, a supernatural or a spiritual power or by a natural force or a, a spell by a magician or and, and again, there are all kinds of words, hexes, jinxes. I mean, I've talked about the hoard, the origin of some of these words on this podcast before there. I don't know of any culture that doesn't believe historically in some form of of cursing i mean we've all heard about the egyptian mummies being cursed and all the stuff around king tut but you know i am here in the united states where most people have at least a basic familiarity with the bible and you know basically the bible right there toward the beginning it depicts god cursing the serpent um and you know, basically, um, even kind of cursing Cain, because, you know, the serpent almost seemed like some kind of a reptilian at first that could talk to to Adam and Eve, especially Eve, and uh, and provide temptation and all that. And then God curses the serpent and says, ah, because of what you've done, you don't have to slither on your, your belly for the rest of your life. Uh, Noah curses Canaan. Joshua curses the man who should build the city of Jericho. Uh, my goodness, the 10 plagues of Egypt preceding the 10 commandments can be seen as curses cast from the rods of Aaron and Moses. Uh, and in the New Testament, Christ curses a barren fig tree. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so cursing is in all cultures including the Bible. So the evil eye, however, is, is a very, very basic, pure form of this kind of curse. It's interesting. If you think somebody's given you the evil eye, then you must have seen something uh, like at one point, just a look in this person's eye that, that somehow makes you feel as if uh, this person's capable of doing that with with his or her eyes. And, you know, this also reminds me that uh, even in 
Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is is especially interesting to me because, you know, I back in 2012, I went to Transylvania and Romania and I got to uh, investigate all of Vlad Dracul's old castles and stomping grounds. I mean, it was the trip of a lifetime. And in toward the beginning of the novel Dracula, um, Jonathan Harker talks about how that when he went into some inn that this crowd gathered around the, the, the door of considerable size and they all made this weird sign toward him. I think what he's trying to describe is it says the sign of the cross and pointed two fingers toward me. And supposedly what that means is I guess like if you take your index finger and your middle finger, just like you're crossing your fingers and you point that at somebody, I guess that's supposed to um, represent the, the Christian cross. Either that or he's talking about uh, taking an index finger from one hand and a middle finger of the other hand and doing that. But basically, all these people start pointing their fingers and, and uh, toward him. And he, he writes, with some difficulty, I got a fellow passenger to tell me what they meant. He would not answer at first, but on learning that I was English, he explained that it was a charm or guard against the evil eye. So apparently, according to Dracula, all of these these people, these Romanians, they saw him and they thought he might have the evil eye with him. And so they were trying to resist that. Uh, when we come back, let's get into some of these tips. There are five that I found in particular. I don't know. I don't know if these are reasonable tips or not. Five ways to ward off evil spirits and later chaos magic. I'm Joshua P. Warren, and you are listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be back after these important messages. Keep it here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. The Wizard of Weird will be right back. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. 
we're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Coast to Coast AM mobile app is here and waiting for you right now. And with the app, you can hear classic shows from the past seven years, listen to the current live show, and get access to the Art Bell Vault where you can listen to uninterrupted audio. Head on over to the coasttocoastam.com website. We have a handy video guide to help you get the most out of your mobile app usage. All the info is waiting for you now at coasttocoastam.com. That's coasttocoastam.com. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is ufologist Kevin Randall, and you're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. The strange things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua P. Warren, and this is the show where the unusual becomes usual. I found this article from years ago in the Washington Post, and it's called Five Ways to Ward Off Evil Spirits. Listen to this. It says, Muslims call it the hand of Fatima, while Jews refer to it as the hand of Miriam, Hamsa hand, or Hamish hand. Both fates, however, agree on its powers. The hand with the colored eye found on necklaces, ornaments, stickers, etc. will shield you from the powers of the evil eye. Layer on the eyeliner and smoky eyeshadow because ancient Egyptians believed that makeup prevented the evil one from entering your eyes. Let me pause. That's odd, isn't it? I mean, it makes sense, but, you know, you always see all these depictions of the Egyptians with that, that really uh, thick eye makeup. And, um, well, I guess that totally it makes sense when you consider that they thought someone could project something evil from uh, one eye to another. And so... I guess if you have the more pronounced looking eye, you're um, you're defending yourself. It's like eye wars. Anyway, it goes on to say, show the horned hand. The horned hand looks like a secret greeting among Metallica heads, but Italians do the mano cornuta for protection. 
To form the gesture, use your thumb to hold down your middle and ring fingers and then extend your pointer and pinky like horns. And though this might ward off evil spirits, it could also attract heavy metal rockers. <laughs> okay. And then it goes on to say, um, in Jewish tradition, you have a few options. Spit three times on your fingertips, then wave them in the air. Or you can throw salt. Or you can say in Yiddish, kan anhora. And by the way, I do not speak Yiddish, but that's supposed to mean no evil eye. Or eat lots of garlic. For Transylvanians, the garlic, worn, not ingested, also frightens off vampires and werewolves. And they end the article by saying, grab a carrot, a replica of the Washington Monument, or any other similarly wand-shaped object. Apparently, this will seduce the evil spirits away from you. But then your carrot might be possessed. I think that whole piece was written with a sense of humor, don't you? But you know what? Um, when it comes to these things, I it's, it's about a philosophy of magical thinking. And in my book, Finding Your Magic, which you can go and download instantly right now from the curiosity shop at joshuapwarren.com, I wrote the following. Think of the five human senses. And this is about like how to perform, you know, magical rituals and, and how to get your head in the right place. Think of the five human senses, sight, smell, hearing, taste, and touch. Aromas can be very powerful. Is there an aroma associated with your desired outcome? Is there a tone or a piece of audio that would help you, but not be distracting? Is there a texture that might help, like a crisp stack of dollar bills or a, a kind of cloth? Is there something that you can taste during a ritual? Many people like to drink a certain beverage or eat a certain item that captures the essence of what is to be achieved. But be very reserved with this one, since putting anything so directly into your body can be a big distraction. But any of these things can be used singularly or in combination to create an environment that represents what you want to achieve. Though you can find rituals that exist on the Internet, and yes, people sit down and write some very complex rituals, you'll find it most effective to assemble your own ritual perhaps on a case-per-case -case basis to capture the energy you are trying to harness to capture what you want to achieve. Some people call this philosophy of assembling your own ritual chaos magic. And then I go on to say you can read more about this subject online. Um, but at the end of the day, the point is to use all elements at your disposal to create a miniature scene representative of what you want to achieve. Go to the local craft store and have fun. And I guess that is, uh, I, I, I draw this conclusion from talking about the evil eye and all that because all we're really talking about is, you feeling a certain way about this energy that's being directed to you and what you need to do to do something about it. So when I'm sitting here with my evil eye talismans and my gargoyle and my electrum ring and my Buddha stone and all that, you know, I'm really just using all this to remind me to focus my mind on where it needs to be. If you go and you look 
technically at the origins of so-called chaos magic, which is usually spelled M-A-G-I-C-K. Um, it says it emerged in England in the 1970s as part of the wider neo-pagan and esotericist subculture and drew heavily from the occult beliefs of artist Austin Osman Spare, expressed several decades earlier. You know, Austin Osman Spare, um, he was, he was an artist and a writer and an occultist. And he was one of the people who was a big proponent of creating sigils. He had his own method of doing it where you basically would take what you wanted to produce and you'd write it in English. You'd write it as a word and then you would start morphing the letters of that word and sort of condensing them down into something that looked like a symbol. As a matter of fact, I have one of his books here right in front of me that talks about that. It's called The Book of Pleasure, Self-Love, The Psychology of Ecstasy by Austin Osmond Spear. I don't know. Is it just me or does that sound kind of dirty? But anyway, uh, he does give his technique in there. But getting back to the technical overview of chaos magic, says your chaos magic teaches that the essence of magic is that perceptions are conditioned by beliefs and that the world as we perceive it can be changed by deliberately changing those beliefs. So chaos magicians subsequently treat belief as a tool, often creating their own idiosyncratic magical systems and frequently borrowing from other magical traditions, religious movements, popular culture, and various strands of philosophy. Okay, now, I know, uh, I think there, uh, when it comes to like the idea of uh, belief in a spiritual realm and manifestation, uh, whether it's through prayer or whatever, I think you usually have two different types of people. Uh, one form is the type of person who says like, look, I got this figured out. Here's the way to do it. This is the only way to do it. It's the one way to do it. And, uh, I think a lot of people who align themselves with the Christian philosophy, they're like, look, all you need is to believe in Jesus. Boom. That's it. That's the one thing. Forget everything else. And yet there are plenty of people around the world who aren't familiar with Jesus. There are people who've lived and died who were never exposed to, to Jesus. And they came up with some interesting, um, ideas about how to represent um, positive creation. And I think it's interesting, at least from an artistic point of view, to look at all these different cultures around the world and to find where they have something in common. And, uh, so that is, I think part of chaos magic is finding symbology from different cultures and backgrounds and ideologies and putting them all together, uh, to see what is going to work for you in a particular situation. And uh, there, I have this book uh, in front of me right now called Condensed Chaos, An Introduction to Chaos Magic by Phil Hine. And uh, he starts out this book by saying, what is magic? The world is magical. We might get a sense of this after climbing a mountain or looking down upon the landscape below or in the quiet satisfaction at the end of one of those days when everything has gone right for us. Magic is a doorway 
through which we step into mystery, wildness, and eminence. We live in a world subjective or subject to extensive and seemingly all-embracing systems of social and personal control that continually feed us the lie that we are each alone, helpless, and powerless to affect change. The magic is about change. Um, and then he goes on to talk about this idea of how you can possibly get rid of these thought forms or these things you might think of as demons, banishing them with extreme prejudice that, and this ties into the evil eye. I think he says, while it's necessary to identify, know, and integrate your own personal demons, it's arguable how far you can take this process with other people. It may occur that a friend or lover is clearly harboring dysfunctional demons could be jealousy or possessiveness, uh, or it could be more physiological like alcoholism, drug addiction, pathological violence. And he basically goes on to say that you have to reach a point where you realize that sometimes you can help yourself. You can banish your own demons, but you can't banish somebody else's demons. And so the only way you can deal with that is to just get rid of them and stop associating with them. But when we come back from this break, I am going to give you some very basic tips on things that you might be able to do if you need to get rid of a dark force, whether it's a person or a concept, um, anything any person or anything that's giving you the evil eye, so to speak. And then also, I have a roulette will experiment update for you. I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back. Hang on, Josh will be right back. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey folks, we need your music. Hey, it's producer Tom at Coast to Coast AM, and every first Sunday of the month, we play music from emerging artists just like you. If you're a musician or a singer and have recorded music you'd like to submit, it's very easy. Just go to coasttocoastam.com, click the Emerging Artist banner in the carousel, follow the instructions, and we just might play your music on the air. Go now to coasttocoastam.com to send us your recording. That's coasttocoastam.com. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's Dr. Sky. Keep it right here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Back to the final segment of this edition of Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua P. Warren, and I'm about to give you some very simple and direct binding tips on how to deal with a person or a concept that you feel like is attacking you, giving you that evil eye energy. But first off, just to be very, very basic, um, According to spiritual-blog.org, they say, hey, this is the foundation of what you need to be doing and thinking if you want to start getting away from this kind of energy. One, think positive. I know you're like, oh, here we go again. I can't do that. Well, you got to try. You got to try. Think positive. Number two, avoid substance and alcohol abuse. Number three, surround yourself with positive people. I think that's very important. Next is visit places of prayer. Next, have faith. Next says sage your home, business, and office. I don't know why you always hear that. I'm not a big fan of that aroma, but that's what they say. Perform energy clearing and blessings. Exercise and eat healthy. Avoid conflicts and disagreements. Meditate. Take cleansing baths. Light-scented candles. Submerge yourself in an ocean or a lake. Pray. Help others who are struggling. Keep salt in your pocket. Hire a spiritual healer to perform a removal. Again, I can hear you being like, well, I'm not doing most of that so what's next mr warren <laughs> okay here are and thank you uh for that information spiritualblog.org but okay a binding ritual is when you 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 take the 
you take the energy pattern, the thought form of a, a person or a concept and you tie it up. So uh, if it's a person, it might be somebody that you believe is giving you the evil eye. Uh, Or if it's a concept, like let's say uh, smoking, that's your problem, smoking. Well, you, you find a way to represent that. It could just be a pack of cigarettes. If it's a person, it might be, of course, a picture of that person. Traditionally, you would want to bind that person up by uh, taking that representation and using a string and wrapping it around and around and around, saying, I bind you, I bind you, I bind you, I bind you. And then you you say a few words and you put it aside and find yourself clear of that. Um, another thing that I think is interesting that might be more effective is binding with ice. And somebody, one, I think it was a listener who told me about this one time. Uh, I like the idea that it includes water. So you take whatever your representation is of the person or the concept that you're dealing with, the thought form, and you put it into like a bag of water and put it in your freezer and freeze it or some kind of a container that's not going to burst. And as it slowly freezes, you realize it's being locked uh, from doing anything to you until it's finally in a frozen block and it's powerless against you. But... Even though those can be, you know, great techniques, I mean, you do have to find out what works for you. And if you are a person who experiments with manifestation devices on a regular basis, and whether it be with a wishing machine, and of course, as you know, the world's most powerful wishing machine is the Apex machine. It's the fastest manifester. Go to the apexmachine.com. But if you're, whether you're using, you know, uh, gosh, prayer boards or or wands or whatever your thing is you know what sometimes it doesn't work to manifest happiness because happiness is subjective sometimes bad things are what makes you happy (laughs) for a little while Look at a serial killer, for example. If a serial killer wished for happiness, that might mean more victims show up. Um, sometimes you, you can't just try to manifest happiness. You might end up wishing for the wrong thing. I think perhaps you should just manifest freedom and peace. Freedom and peace for you and for all. What do you think about that? You know, manifestation is such an interesting concept, and we always bring ourselves back to that because that's what reality is all about. I've been telling you about the roulette experiment that I did recently in which I got tons of people who all from all over the world who listen to this podcast and follow me on social media to come and say, okay, I'm going to go to a roulette wheel. What number or what space am I going to hit? You know, one through 38. And the first time I did it, Eight people got it right. And that's because uh, the first time I did it, it was the number 29. So eight people guessed 29. And I said, okay, now of those eight people, you get to go to round two. What is it going to be the next time? And then um, I went just today to the casino to do round two. And I'd taken the vote from each of those eight people as to what the next number was going to be. 
and none of them got it right. The The number that hit today was 22. So there was a 1 in 38 chance, again, of getting it right. So the, the last time it was 29, which narrowed it down to eight people, and this time it was 22. So nobody has made it past this point. But I'm going to try this experiment again. And if I find that I find somebody out there who, by by whatever power, by the grace of God, is able to get this number right, and you get it right once, and you move to round two, and you get it right twice, and, you, and then you move to round three, and you get it right that third time, then I'm going to go out for that fourth time, and I'm going to put a thousand bucks down. And that'll give a $35,000 return if you're right that fourth time. And then you and I are going to have a real good time. (laughs) But if you want to stay informed on that experiment and how you can participate, you've got to be a subscriber to my free e-newsletter. That's the only way to do it there on my website. JoshuaPWarren.com I have so many weird things that I want to talk about with you. We've covered a lot of territory already, but we're getting short on time. So sometimes when it's like this, I like to just grab one of these bizarro books that I keep on hand. One of them is the Serial Killer Cookback uh, Cookbook. Serial Killer Cookbook by Ashley Lecker. True Crime Trivia and Disturbingly Delicious Last Meals from Death Row's Most Infamous Killers and Murderers. All right, let's see what the last meal was of one of these infamous serial killers. How about this one? Eileen Vornos. What do you think her last meal was? Eileen Vornos. She was born in 1956. She was executed in 2002. She is one of the most notorious female serial killers of all time. Um, she killed at least seven men um, between 1989 and 1990, and she claimed all of her victims had attacked, had attacked and assaulted her and that she killed in self-defense. Well, she was sentenced to die by lethal injection in Florida, What do you think her last meal was? Well, it says here in this book that Eileen Warnos declined her last meal. But then she had a hamburger and a few snacks from the canteen and a coffee later in the day. And then they give you in this book a recipe for how to make a hamburger. What a funny, there's something dark and funny about the concept of this book. So what does that tell you? This woman who was about to die, she turned down a last meal. And then later on, she changed her mind and she had just a hamburger and, you know, a coffee. So I don't know what that tells us. I guess maybe what the lesson of that is, is that, even when you're about to leave this earth and and you could have lobster and caviar and I mean, I don't know what her options were, probably at least a steak or something like that. She was in Florida. I'm, I know they have some great fish. She just went for the hamburger 
And maybe that tells you a lot about what's really important in life. What a great piece of thoughtful philosophy. With that, let us all listen together to the one, the only, the original Good Fortune Tone. That's it for this edition of the show. Follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren. Plus, visit JoshuaPWarren.com to sign up for my free e-newsletter to receive a free instant gift and check out the cool stuff in the curiosity shop all at JoshuaPWarren.com. I have a fun one lined up for you next time, I promise. So please tell all your friends to subscribe to this show and to always remember the golden rule. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon. You've been listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are, and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.